Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. I'll give you some highlights of my holiday weekend, which was quite eventful. I have been paying a lot of attention to what's going on in the Adams administration, and I think I've been incredibly fair to Eric Adams. Every time he does something that I think is good, I loudly say so. Every time he does something that I think is bad, I loudly say so, and I root for him to do better. But there is one troubling trend that seems to be going on in the Adams administration, and it's this trend towards cronyism and nepotism. He hires as one of his deputy mayors, Phil Banks, a police officer or leading police officer who left the department in a cloud of, I don't want to say scandal, but a cloud of uncertainty about his role in a bribery probe. And not only hires Philip Banks, but his brother, David Banks, as the school's chancellor. Okay, maybe they both happen to be qualified. He appoints Anthony Miranda as the sheriff, who's an old cop buddy of his, who was an activist with him back in the days of uh, 100 blacks in law enforcement, even though Anthony Miranda was just involved in some very shady campaign finance practices when he himself ran for city council last year. His longtime partner is apparently on the city payroll. And now we see his pal and former landlord, Lisa White, has now been hired as the deputy NYPD commissioner for employee relations. First of all, do you have any idea how many deputy commissioners there are at the NYPD? I don't either, but there are way too many. If you walk around one police plaza, you really see a whole bunch of fat that can be cut with all these deputy commissioners that have duplicative and superfluous jobs. And I think the last thing the NYPD needed was another deputy commissioner. But sure enough, Adams hired his former pal and landlady, Lisa White, at a taxpayer-funded salary of $241,000. And I really have to applaud my friend and colleague, Curtis Lewa, who did a great job filling in for me, by the way, on Friday. Thank you to Curtis. And did a great job all weekend long. I heard a great portion of his programming. But Curtis has written to the commissioner of DOI, Department of Investigation, and asked for a probe of Eric Adams' suspect hires and some of his dealings with questionable people. And I hope everything's above board here, but if anything calls for an investigation, I think this reckless pattern of hiring all your buddies and relatives at pretty high salaries certainly deserves one. Way to go, Curtis. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. 
Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for listening. I, throughout my academic career in elementary school, in junior high school, and I think even a little bit in high school, would occasionally contribute to the school newspaper. Not in any major way, but I would write an article here or there, or I would suggest different ideas for stories. And I thought it was great. I thought it was great to go to several schools that, for the most part, had school newspapers. And I thought it was a great training ground for future journalists and future consumers of news. That's why when I read this article over the weekend, demonstrating that only 27% of New York City's public high schools have student newspapers, I thought that was terrible. As the Daily News on their editorial page said on Sunday, you don't have to be a reporter or editorial writer or former student journalist to be very troubled by this fact. The overall numbers are worrisome. The demographic breakdown is even more worrisome. Baruch College professor Jeannie Belton and her team surveyed all the district-run high schools they could find over the course of a year and got answers from 439, while 36 of the 50 high schools with the lowest poverty rates had newspapers. Just three of the 50 high schools with the highest poverty rates did. And this, by the way, counts papers that are online as well, not just in print. So understand what happens here. The schools where there's probably even more of a need for knowing what's going on in the school and in the community are not being served by student journalism at all. And there's very little training ground for the future gumshoe reporters of tomorrow. I think this is just awful. And I think this ought to be a priority for the school's chancellor, for different principals, uh, for community education council, for PTAs, and yes, for all New Yorkers. Even if teenagers never go on to see their byline atop a published story. School newspapers provide real skills, meaning even if you never become a journalist, you still learn about gathering information, checking sources. You learn about writing cleverly. These are capabilities that are especially vital given what's going on right now when a lot of folks, even adults, can't tell the difference between a fact and an opinion or a story that's a baseless conspiracy theory that's spread on social media and something that's a fact. There's a non group called Press Pass NYC that helps schools start newspapers. All it takes is a few computers and a dedicated advisor. I hope any teachers and principals listening to this show, if you don't have a student newspaper in your school, you'll work to start one. To be continued. Beam me up. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Well, Governor Hochul is soon going to have to make one of the most consequential decisions of her administration. One of the first things that she is going to have to do is come up with her choice to replace retiring or retired state chief judge Janet DeFiori. This is an incredibly important job. You're the chief judge. That means you're the leading, you run the New York State court system, and you also sit on the New York State Court of Appeals, which is our version of the U.S. Supreme Court. And from the time that DeFiori announced her retirement, progressives have pushed Hochul to flip the court into a rubber stamp for a left-wing agenda. State Senator Michael Gianaris denounced DeFiori and her so-called conservative bloc because, believe it or not, even though they were all appointed by Democrats, the controlling bloc under DeFiori when she was there 
there was conservative. The redistricting lines that were struck down, some of the other laws that were struck down, were struck down by this block of four conservative judges. Gianaris is vowing to block any nominee lacking the right bona fides. Hopefully, Senator Gianaris and the hard left in the state should not get their way. New York needs a top court that will keep slapping down blatantly illegal moves like the gerrymandering decision and a whole bunch of others. In September, a far left-wing gay Democratic club wrote to Governor Hochul to condemn the judge that's now serving as the acting chief. Although Judge Anthony Canataro is openly gay, he does not represent our values. That's the word from the Jim Owls Liberal Democratic Club. Think about that. The leading Liberal Democratic Club condemned the appointment of an acting chief judge that's gay because he's not woke enough. But Canataro is now one of the seven candidates forwarded on Wednesday by the State Commission on Judicial Ethics. The governor is supposed to make her pick by December 23rd. In my view, if there's any hope of having balance in this state and not having a legislature with a super Democratic majority run roughshod over the voters and the governor for that matter, then she should really keep the acting chief judge, Anthony Canataro, exactly where he is and make him the permanent chief judge. He's a great choice. He's acquired a great legal record on the Court of Appeals. It's a great victory for the gay community to have somebody that's openly gay in such a high and prominent position. And I think the fact that he's not liberal enough, far from being disqualifying, I think that's one of the best things he's got going for him. Let's see what the governor does. I'm not terribly optimistic, to be honest. Beam me up! To be continued. The other side of midnight. Local spotlight. First things first, I want to state unequivocally that people who have a criminal history have no better friend on the radio than me. I have a lot of friends who have been incarcerated, and I don't think having a criminal conviction should be disqualifying for anything. That being said, my mother is the owner of a two-family home, and she rents out the side apartment to a tenant. And I cannot believe that we are soon going to be living in a city where she is not going to be able to do a criminal background check on someone that's going to be living in her house. And yet, a controversial bill that is picking up a lot of momentum here in New York City would do just that. This bill would prohibit any landlord in New York City from performing criminal background checks on prospective tenants. Even those, by the way, convicted of murder and other heinous crimes. At least 30 of the city council's 51 members have agreed to back this bill, which they're calling the Fair Chance for Housing Act. It is set to go before the council's committee on civil rights for its first public hearing on December 8th. I am going to be testifying at that hearing, and I hope a lot of you will try to make your voices heard as well. Unlike an earlier version of this bill that died in another council committee at the end of last year, following outcry from a whole bunch of landlord advocacy groups, this new bill, introduced by City Councilman Keith Powers, is gaining steam because of support from newly elected politicians. One of the co-sponsors for this bill is the Speaker of the City Council, Adrian Adams, and... The mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams, appears more than willing to sign it into law 
if the bill should reach his desk. An Adams spokesman told the New York Post, no one should be denied housing because they were once engaged with the criminal justice system, plain and simple. Okay. I'm sympathetic. I realize that uh, just because you were engaged in the criminal justice system, maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you robbed something 20 years ago. Maybe you got caught with drugs or something. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a place to live. But if you have a violent felony conviction, a murder conviction, if you have a criminal history that includes violence, shouldn't your prospective landlord, especially if it's someone like my mom who's living on top of you, shouldn't that person have the right to know what your criminal history is? How about a compromise? How about we say, if it's a violent crime, there can be a background check. But if it's for a nonviolent crime, maybe we don't allow it. Uh, I mean, I think that's the best that we could hope for, given the current iteration of the city council. Beam me up. To be continued. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.